Ground control to Major Tom. Commencing countdown, engines on. Simo and Redmond are the thong slappers. They're two blokes making lots of noise but getting nowhere fast. Hey guys, welcome to episode five of the Thong Slappers. This is Simon, and I'm joined with Redmond, mate. How are you going? G'day, Simon. Mate, uh, good to hear from you. I'm actually tired as Lynch's talk converter. <laughs> yeah, mate, me too. Hey, listen, um, in this episode, we're actually going to be kicking straight into 1991 and the hot car scene of 1991. And can I just start this off by saying, it's interesting when you read back through the magazines, some of the um, the comments that are made as far as, you know, models and things of cars and how times change. Looking through some of the editorials of, of 1991 Street Machine magazines and also the, the feature stories, they mentioned that an XB hardtop isn't exactly a rare car to start with, which is great, how times change. And also the fact that they give people shit for having an MX-5 Mazda saying it's a hairdresser's car. If only the people at Street Machine knew what was going to happen in the future. However, of course, the uh, Carnage MX-5, you know, where's the twin-turbo LS engine? So that pretty much takes it away from that status. But it's just funny the things, how ideas change over time, isn't it? It is. I, I wasn't on board with the MX-5 to start with. I just thought, yeah, it's cool or whatever. But honestly, after seeing Scotty and Bubba in it, caning the oh, piss yeah. out of it, the visuals yeah. now. I'm, 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 I'm on board with it now. I think it's, it's, it's cool. They should have called it Dolly Parton. When you see it from the front, it's, it's nickname should have definitely been Dolly. It's just when I see the guys, <laughs> when I see the guys taking it and pants in the absolute shit out, I get it now. It's cartoonish. It's, it's, but it's like anything. The more I see a car, the more familiar, yeah. the more I like it. Very rarely, on more views of a car, I like it less. That's right. And the more you appreciate it too. I mean, look, straight away, I guess, looking at as far as styles and things like that go, Craig's, Craig Parker's XY was actually Street Machine of the Year for 1991. Now, you'd obviously know that car, the red XY, and it's got the uh, Niels wheels on it and flared guards and stuff. Craig, Craig, of course, is a Street Machine person as well. Do you remember that car? I sure do. It's got like the world's fattest front tyres on it. Have you seen the front tyres on the thing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, a 285s. That is crazy cool. Yeah, and look, Tough XY, I mean, that was such a popular car for a lot of people then too. And it's interesting when you see that style of car who got Street Machine of the Year for 1991, it actually followed on the back of 1990. 1990 Street Machine of the Year was Ron Barclay's Coral HQ Ute, which is, of course, just famous I love that Ute, car yeah. scene. That's right. So two totally different build styles, but the fact that people were obviously open-minded enough to really put into what they liked. And, you know, Ron's car, I think he's recently bought it back which would be a great thing to see him get that back to that standard. But I guess that was a real shift as far as, as cars go with what people were aiming to do with cars. And the level of detail was just taken just so high. I mean, of course, it was a time when you had cars like Howard Astle's Rock, the different incarnations of his Rock XA Falcon, and Rock 3 was hot on the scene then. And, you know, all the whole false floors and all that sort of stuff was now being experimented with and smoothing things off. But you compare, say, something like Rock 3 to Ron Barclay's Ute, Rock 3 was still a pretty wild-looking car, you know, with the graphics and... You know, it had the bonnet scoop, and whereas the the thing I always remember clearly about Ron's HQ was 
it was fairly much built as a standard car that was just refined to the absolute eyeballs. Like you being a Simmons man, I remember clearly reading about the fact that he had the wheels pulled apart and he ground all the casting marks off the centers and all that sort of stuff. Do you remember that sort of thing with that ute? I definitely do. I think it's, the you know, the word sanitary comes to mind. Yes. When you're building a, a car, I think it may have mentioned it in one of the write-ups I've seen of it. Very high quality finish of a car. It's, it's pretty crazy when we look at it from an outside perspective that somebody takes a commercial Holden vehicle, just a ute. Yes. From outside yeah. our scene, if you're looking inside, you're going, wow, that's a, a, a pretty commercial, a pretty huge place to start. It's that's not right. an, It's not a European or exotic car. It's not something that was built. So he's, he's gone as far as he can down this way, just a Holden ute. That's right. But- and he's brought it up. He kind of had priors for doing things a little bit differently, Ron Barclay. Um, prior to this particular ute, he'd built a really tidy HQ Premier sedan, and it was featured on the cover of Australian Street Riding magazine once. Like, this is this is sort of going back a few years. We're talking probably maybe 1986, 1987. And I can always remember when I saw that car, like back then, I remember thinking he'd painted it brown. You know, it was just such a different colour for that time. I mean, the first thing people did, if you came home with a brown HQ, it was painted Monza red or it was painted black or some other colour. But the fact he'd actually kept it the factory brown colour and it had a, set, a nice set of centerline auto drags on it. I think it may have had a vinyl roof for Memby. But that car too was so clean and tidy. It, I guess it was just the rumblings of what was going to, you know, what was going to come. And he just stuck to his guns with what he liked. And, and so many people refer back to his Coral HQ Ute nowadays, don't they? It's, it's just one of those real iconic cars that will always have a, a place in, you know, street machining's legacy, I suppose. So. It's a good it's a good movement and a good thing that we do. When, you know, whenever you post a car, something like that, people, oh, where is it these days? Where it now is but Guys are getting some of the old cars back and restoring them to their former, what they used to be, bits and pieces. I think it's a really good scene that that way. Exactly on that, what you're talking about, like whatever happened to is like I love those features, like whatever happened to blah, blah, blah. And interestingly, you may remember there was a white 8Z GDS. It was a genuine GDS four-door sedan uh, built back then, and it's in one of these issues called Vanilla Ice. Yeah. It was built by... Yes, built by Kevin Strawn in Brisbane. It was white. It had kind of like purpley blue detailing, a set of, uh, you know, like the, um, I guess, World Pros. And it was, yeah, injection hanging out the bonnet. Um, he still owns that car to this day. Wow. Know? And it, it is exactly the same car. It is identical. It has the same finish in the boot. It has the same this. It has the same that. A mutual friend introduced me to him a while back. And look, Kevin's gone on to build hot rods. Like he's got a really nice 32 Vicky now. And he's always sort of had his, um, I guess, uh, toes in the water with the car scene. But that car is sitting in his shed. It's under wraps. And mate, it is identical to how it was when it was featured in the magazine. You know, of course, it's looking a little worse for wear here and there. But um, it's still exactly that same car. And it's just, you know, when I saw it, I was just like a kid in a candy store. I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, wow, wow, this is that car. It's that same car. Because, again, it's something I used to see on the show scene back in those days too. So, yeah. I actually like that big block holding vanilla ice. I like big blocks, and they're kind of hard to justify these days, like a cast iron big block. I mean, you can put a 408 crank in the LS1, and the thing will make more power. It's lighter. It's smarter. It's cheaper. And nearly all them things are the reason that I like a, a big block, especially in the HQ or something like that. It's just, it's, it sounds so rock and roll. You know, the thing, 
you can pull 400 horsepower, which is not a lot out of them, yeah. But recently I had a conversation with someone who really had to justify a big block. And I'm going, yeah, it's just the only reason that you would use a big block engine is that you want a big block engine. The thing is, too, I mean, you've got to, I guess, look at what people say for that, too, as far as comparisons go. Like Brendan Cherry, who runs that HK Monaro, the one that's been at Drag Challenge, was a top 60 Summonats vehicle as well. You know, it's kind of that green, blacky, gold. Got that one, yeah. Yeah. Now, he used to have an HQ Monaro, which had a turbo Ellis, and it used to run like eights or nines, but it was a, a blue one, which was later painted green. Talking to Brendan about the difference between the power output, and like he said, when he went to the – he bought that HK with a big block already in it, and he fitted the, the turbo set up to it. And he said it's a totally different beast of a car. It's a totally different car to drive. And this is someone who's got on-the-ground experience. It's not just someone, you know, making assumptions like I probably would because I've probably never really driven either. But he was actually saying that it's a different beast altogether. The power is different to what the LS was with having the twin-turbo big block. And as much as they might run comparable numbers, the two cars – the fact that his, you know, overall drivability reckons is totally different. And that's really interesting to see that. And look, I just love the look of it. I just love the look of those tapper covers more than anything else. Someone pops the bonnet and there's a, you know, 454 or something and it still still floats my boat, definitely. Have you, have you seen the guy's got a 454 or something? I, I'm not sure what it is. Done up like a 253 in an old holder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is spot on. Mate, it's funny you actually mentioned that. Back. In probably around 1990, 1991, there was the guy, the Gap in Brisbane, he had a white HJ sedan, and that had a 454 in it. And it still had, the, it was just like a white card, had like a pretty of a brownie bone colored vinyl roof. It still had the 4.2 liter badge on the boot lid. I remember we were sort of, we were all the car people kind of used to meet up at the, the mobile service station at the Gap back in those days. And he's there and he's got this car there. And of course, the bonnet, you know, when you put a big block in those things, there's not really much room left under the bonnet. And he had the bonnet just sort of partially pop. Anyway, the police have turned up and they're going through all the cars and everyone's sort of like, oh, shit, here we go. Because back then, you couldn't put a big block of any sort into a Holden. This police officer locked around, he's popped the bonnet of the car and he's having a bit of a look and he's like, oh, he goes, geez, those, those things look bigger than normal. And he's just, when I say those things, he's like pointing at the basically the tapper covers and the cylinder heads. Mm. And he goes, what size is the engine? And the guy says, oh, it's, you know, 253, the 4.2 litre, you know, they come out. And he goes, oh, right. And he goes, oh, they just look a bit big. And he goes, oh, yeah, it's got special Peter Brock heads on it. And the guy's <laughs> just gone, oh, yeah, and just moved on to the next car. And, mate, that story stuck with me forever. What a classic. You know, our good mate, Coity. Russ, um, Russell. Yeah, Chris, Chris, Chris Russell, of course. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. He, yeah, he's got a great story about his car getting inspected. You've seen his Valiant. 85, yes. Yeah, yeah with a custom roof job. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's got the custom paint job on the roof. It's mm. got a, a 265, and he built it for his daughters. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so it's got a 265, so it's P-plate legal. It's got twin sticks on it. It's got a wheelbarrow handles. It just sounds, to me, it sounds perfect. So he, his daughters go on an Easter egg hunt, so they take the car. He stays at home, and he starts welding and grinding a bits and pieces. Leaves his on the shelf like you know pretty normal yeah when he finally gets to his telephone there's 30 missed calls from his daughter and he's like i oh, stacked the car so he rings her and what the story is his daughter's been pulled out for a random breath test just as normal at easter so yeah. Yeah. One, of the, one of the coppers sees the twin sticks sees the p-plates you can't drive oh. this and she's like why it's a v8 and she's like i don't think it is dad built this car for me and we've driven it a lot i don't think it's a v8 but i'll, I'll just ring dad he'll come straight down of course he can't get hold of chris he's singing and welding and, and carrying on so finally they decide to pop the bonnet but what do you know about not being able to open the bonnet on one of them how do you open the bonnet on that model yeah at the front under the grill oh above the grill sorry yeah you it's all done ex- externally of the car yeah 
something that they are, they, the police didn't know how to do. So they've gotten there for 30 minutes. The girls are in, in tears when they start to talk. We're going to impound it or whatever. They could not get the bonnet open. Like finally, someone who must have had some go who knew what was, was going on leaned under the car and seen it was a six-cylinder. He goes, oh, no, he's a right to go. So the girls got away. That's just an interesting story about getting a, a car inspected. It might not even be an interesting story. <laughs> no, that's a very interesting story. And the big lesson to be learned out of that is make sure that you know how to open bonnets and do stuff in your own cars <laughs> because, uh, yeah, you obviously can't rely and other people to do it. Your generation Y set your set your dad's telephone ringtone louder than he can sing. Chris reckons he had ACB, so he's singing in the shed. He reckons I was having the time of my life. But of course, when he's seen thirty missed calls from his daughter, shat. Oh, you would, and you would yeah. think the worst too. So yeah. I can understand that. Hey, um, mate, back to '91 and looking at the burnout comp. Now, Chris Christo, he won back-to-back burnout comps with the Summonats there, and seriously. What 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 can you say about Chris Chris? So like that double fist pump, doing burnouts, one fist through the sunroof, one fist out the window is legendary. And it's it's funny how much the the, the burnout comp has changed in the you know since those days. But you know the real men smoke eagers. Do you remember that poster? I definitely that was out with Chris Chris. Yeah, that's what a great I'd say thing about Chris Chris. And I've said this before. He can park HO775, which is his car. He can park that on my Brocky poster collection. That's how big of it. Big, uh, yeah. that's I How really much you like love it. it. Yeah, it's perfect. It's just real men smoke eagers, and he it's a phase three, and he yeah. pound the absolute shit out of the thing. And, and the reason he pounds the absolute shit out of it back in the day is because it was a phase three with the four V engine, perfect for it. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly right. And the thing is, too, I mean, that car just looks such classic old-school street machine. You know, it's got tramp rods and center lines. And it's, it's funny, when you look back through these issues and look at the burnout comps and that sort of stuff, too, the sort of cars people were throwing around. And as much as these days, there's some really, really, uh, I guess, people doing such amazing things with, with such a wide variety of cars. One of my favorites from 91, a fellow called CJ had a one-tonner, and it was actually one of those one-tonners, or like I guess they call them a two-tonner. You know when they've got the twin axles yeah, under yep. the back? Normally, they're just one drive axle, then they've got a lazy axle behind it. But nah, not this fellow. This guy, CJ, he actually put – he had a nine-inch in there and machined the back off the front nine-inch housing to run like a jack shaft. So this thing was actually like six by four, like it was bogey drive. Oh, wow. And have a, yeah, and it didn't have a tray on it, and he's doing the burnout comp, and he's got four wheels smoking on this one time. I stuck in my mind ever since that thing, so, yeah. Bandag Bullet used to be a pretty cool little burnout Yeah, machine. no, definitely right. And, you know, funny talking about burnout cars, if, if you don't mind me digressing for five seconds, it's funny when you read the current issue of Street Machine, the way that yellow Ford, the LS Court, did you see the absolute – pounding that guy cop for putting an LS into an Escort. It just defies belief. I couldn't believe yeah. it, mate. And the only thing I've seen was just the, the Facebook page. It's in the actual Street Machine magazine, you know, the hard copy. What's it yeah. called? But some of the comments that were being made about that car, and, I mean, look, at the end of the day, look, we're both massive Lynchy fans. I mean, who isn't? The, the stuff he does in that Corolla, that's talking about it, some driving beyond belief. But the thing I couldn't work out, you know, you, you say you put Lynchy's Corolla, which is a four-door originally a four-cylinder car, you put that next to an Escort, which is a, a four-door, also an originally a four-cylinder car. They both run LS engines. Is the hate generated because he's running a Ford without a Ford motor? Like, no one seems to be jumping up and down the fact that Lynchy runs a Toyota, which it doesn't have, like, a Lexus V8 or something in it. Like, what's the go with that? It's, I don't, it's don't disturbing, know. I think, mate. I, I don't understand it. Honestly, I can barely believe this is one of the comments in there. 
here it is. It's called In Your Face. Look, one of the guys is going to say, unless, as he says here, what a disgrace of a bloke. That's a comment someone put. Either it's his mate and he's yeah. taking the piss or I can't yeah. believe that. Yeah. Look, I personally, you know, I think that escort's so cool. And the thing is, too, you know, all the haters, people bagging this bloke out, show us what you're doing on the burnout pads. At the end of the day, it's easy to throw rocks, but you should be careful doing it's that sort like, of It's stuff. like the analogy between between your football club. Like a streetcar, a street machine, it can be like a football club. You might go for, say, Parramatta, and I go for the Tigers or whatever. I don't follow football, but say I go for the Tigers. We bag each other out. It's like, oh, your boards can't tackle, and, you know, and we just spend so much time being against each other as being club rivals. But then if somebody else was to come in and say, oh, fuck rugby league, I like watching soccer. That's when we stick together. Oh, fuck you. All of a sudden, we're in the same, we're the same group. Yeah. The same yeah. I feel with streetcar, that's a little bit about fair enough. We, you know, forward and holding and cries, little bits and pieces. We all, we all go against each other. But if somebody from the outside comments collectively, but like, fuck you. Yeah, no, that's true. And look, at the end of the day, in the March issue, I did that story called Negative Gearing. And that's kind of what I, you know, look, this is something I'm very passionate about. I, I, I hate fighting within the ranks as far as that goes, because I know we've got so much, so many people butting heads outside of the scene against us. But just that, that personal attack, like saying that, you know, it's just totally unnecessary. And look, you know, uh, I guess for Peter, who owns at LS, you've got two massive fans of that car here, the LS Court, and those number plays are just so cool too. So I think it's a job well done, mate. The, the only comment, get ready on your edit button, the only comment when somebody attacks him like that is this, fuck off, you Yeah, yeah, I'm hearing you. And that's pretty much it. And that's that's sort of sad that that's just the way the scene's going. People have always got a, opinions that we don't really need to hear. But, um, mate, speaking of a car that gets lots of opinions that was massive in 1991 is Alan Fleming's Motivator. Do you remember that panel van? It was an HG panel van. It. Do you I like Motivator? That. Yeah, I love it. I was just reading it. <laughs> I was actually reading it this morning, just having breakfast, reading the street <laughs> machine because, you know, I only had to – what uh, what edition is it in? June 91, it's got the Worldwell EA on the cover. Got it, yep. Something I like to do when we're talking about this, page 58, the article is written by Andy Bugnati and it's photographed by Peter Bateman. Oh, yeah, Peter Bateman's still around doing stuff, yep. So, yeah, what did you think of Motivator? Well, particularly on page 81, the, uh, what's the guy's name? The gentleman, Mr. Fleming, has the most bodacious moustache. He still does to this day. And he is of the tribe Ranger. <laughs> so you, you automatically feel like kin, do you? Nah, he probably gets into you know punch ups in car parks and argues about who gets to blow the candles out of parties and stuff. But have a look at the interior. <laughs> I really like Motivator. It was such a cool car when it came out. It was a, it was a, it did divide people a little bit, but it's got a three hundred eight in the start. So I like it. I really like it. I think it's got everything that I need in it. It's, you know, it's got the Simmons, it's got the custom paint. It was nice and it was white. But it's, yeah, it actually did look good white too. I do agree. And the wheels these days, the wheels look tiny. Yeah, yeah. Look, his nephew's actually got that car back, as in his nephew's, um, it's been pulled out of stories now, and I think they're well, hopefully looking to get it back onto the show scene, do a bit of a revival with it. So um, I'd love to see that car in the flesh again for sure. It hasn't it's, got any of the touchstones of the later cars. Still got the heater box, hasn't got a custom firewall, doesn't have scissor doors. Mm, just... Yeah. I think it was all definitely, like, the undercarriage-wise, it was all done neatly, and I think the main focus, of course, was the bodywork. I mean, you look at what it was when you consider it, it did start off as an HG Holden panel van and the transformation he did to the car. And remarkably, like these days, it's still quite really intact. There's a few little dramas here and there with the body, but for what, how much change was made to it, it's actually still looking pretty cool. So, I don't know, I'm definitely a fan. 
The good thing with The Motivator, it actually features on one of, there's a couple of fantastic covers from the year 1991 with Street Machine Magazine where you've got groups of cars together. One in particular from March 1991, you've got Alan Fleming's Motivator, you've got Howard Astle's Rock 3, John Taverner's Camaro. Of course, you've got Bam Bam's HQ sedan with a statesman front. Do you remember that car yep. with the chopped roof? Yep. Blue with, hey, what a great car that Craig's is. Great XY. Yep. You've got Adam Locke's uh, HQ Monaro with the WE statesman front, and you've got Mark Sanders' Tirana, his LH Tirana as well from RPM. He went on to build that heat seeker Monaro. Like, that's such a fantastic cover. It's just, this to me is what street machining is all about. It's got, these cars are just look nothing alike. They're all done to individual styles and they represent so many different genres to quote you and your words. It just, it, it, yeah, it, it really warms my heart seeing photos like that. Obviously, Street Machine of the Year was Craig's XY in 91. I uh, really like the car. Funny thing is, I've got a friend called Craig Parker, and at that time, he had an XZ, so it was Craig Parker's Falcon. It's a great write-up in the magazine. It's actually in April, May 91, and it's uh, written by Ewan Page and photographed again by Peter Bateman. It's a great write-up. Of course, I'm big on the write-up. The write-up goes in to speak about how Craig worked two or three jobs. I think he worked at a bottle shop, and he, he worked selling fast food as well as being an apprentice auto electrician at the time. Yeah, yeah. Commitment, that's all that is for sure. Yeah, exactly, that's right. He, he basically stuck with nearly a stock 351 Cleveland, just obviously highly detailed, a good top end on it, bits and pieces yeah. like that. How I, how I say sometimes, and I'm going to repeat myself here, a magazine is a journal of styles as well, whereas a yes. Facebook page or a website, if you go into it and break it down, you can find it. But something really great about the photo shoot, it's shot right. in front of a, a bill wall, you know, a wall where they post bills yes. for a band. Yeah. And I'll read yeah. out the, the bands. It's got Hunters and Collectors, Paul Kelly, Diddy Vinyls. Yeah, mate. Drum Media Magazine is a thing there, which was a great magazine. It's still going. It's had a name changer or whatever, but it's a really good yeah. uh, written story. It's got a six-point cage in it, which I definitely, definitely like. And I remember back when the LJs, LXs, all them kind of things were fairly common on daily driver streetcars. Everybody yeah. used to talk about, it's definitely a bath special. You can see where the roll cage used to be bolted in. So that was, you know, some mm. three eight holes in the floor. I'm sure there was some salesmen along Parramatta Road that had an old black and decker and a three eight drill, and they were just drilling every Tirana. Oh, it's definitely a race car. You can see where the. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, Craig's XY has got the 285s on the front and 345s on the rear. It's unreal. 351 top loader, nine dinger, just all the perfect. That's it. Yeah. One more just, last touch point for me. Instead of having GTHO in the glove box, he's actually got street machine decal. Yeah, and that's pretty cool too. And such a, it's probably almost fateful that sticker mate too, seeing the fact that Craig actually does work with Street Machine Magazine nowadays and has for them for quite a few years. But um, yeah, that car again, it's got an identity and people will always remember it. And that's that's one of the important things about, I guess, naming a car or having plates that always refer to it as a car. And something that I've seen and really enjoyed coming back with the burnout scene that everything's got names and everything's got an identity, and that's very cool. Mate, does he get on? Does Craig? Have you met Craig? No, no. Oh, I was going to say, how would that be if he's in the office? And it's like, or you get on the piss or something. He'd be like, mate, I had the fucking street machine at you. There'd be no arguing with the guy, eh? Beyond the yeah, piss. Yeah, he'd be hard to top that. Go, yeah, Craig, we fucking heard it, mate. <laughs> We've seen the photos. Yeah, fuck, I'd be reminding people if I'd done it. <laughs> or maybe when I do it. Yeah, well, better get those flares going, mate. We're talking about my jeans. Dong slappers suck. Oh, thank you, young man, for those kind words. You know, he's guaranteed to have a teenager, to tell you the truth. Hey, Red, mate, we're going to do a bit of vice versa. So I want you to think back to 1991 and tell me, what's your vice versa? What's your fiction fraction for 1991? Hit me with it. 
Got a few. I'm going to take X-Boss back, you know, X-Boss Falcon. Yes, not well, yeah. I'm going to take it back and give it to uh, Bill and Lynn Westwood, I think their name is. They built that 4 My Lynn XA coupe with the Simmons, the black thing. Oh, yeah, XC Front, yes. Yeah, I know the car. Very nice Beautiful car. paintwork. Oh, amazing car. And I'm going to bring their coupe back and give it to the X-Boss team. So I'm going to just say to these two guys, yeah, take each other's car and have a look for a weekend. Just keep it for a weekend. Enjoy it. And just say, I'd like to see the interaction between the two teams, like the husband and wife team that built their car and the team, Chris and his team that uh, built Xbox. I just think that'd be a great little play on it. Also, I'm going to take back a pallet load of digital cameras to 91. Hey, that's a great idea, actually. Well, yeah. you, you were saying there some commentary on magazines that you used to really hoard them and collect them and look after them and really wait for the next one to come out. I think that's because yes. even photographs, to even have a car photograph back then, just so the uh, generation Y now, just didn't let me give my flog a while I can until I get too strong for me. It's to, <laughs> this is how you start. You had to have to go and buy a camera. So that was start with. I mean, you had to go and buy a camera. You had to buy some film, load it, go somewhere where there was actual cars. You couldn't just text it to somebody, take a photo of the car, and then, God damn, he had to take the film into a chemist, drop it off, then come back a week later, pay for it and pick it up and then take the photos home and put them in your photo album. The only way somebody else could see them photos was, oh, look at my car photos. So I would, definitely, yeah, I would definitely take back a pallet of digital cameras. Just make sure the frigging things are autofocused. That's what I used to stuff up all the time, trying to manually focus. So you'd wait all that time, you get your photos back and be blurry as shit and be like, fuck, some moments you can't get back. <laughs> No amount of Photoshop's going to fix them, that's for sure. And the other thing that I want to, uh, something I want to bring back from 91, Hannibal Lecter. Ah, okay. And who are you going to unleash him on? I want him to that's eat. The next I, question. I want him to eat the entire cast of Fast and Furious. Would you, would you be down with that? <laughs> Maybe everyone except Jordana Brewster. She's all right. So, but oh, look, I can see the appeal of that. I just think it'd be fun to take to a party, especially if you wheeled him in on that on that trolley as well. Should we see what happens? Should we get him to eat the cast of Baby Driver? You know what? That's a big yes from me. You know I don't like Baby Driver. You know I don't like the movie. You know I think it's an insult to, to car films and um, have said so in print. But it's one of those things where, yeah, look, I'd watch Fast and the Furious over Baby Driver any day. And I'm even talking Tokyo Drift. I'd even go as far as to say I'd watch Tokyo Drift over Baby Driver. So, yeah. Can you tell me your fiction faction, sir, vice versa? Mate, mate, there's a couple here. You have to bear with me because some of them are fairly involved. I guess, you know, to cut a short story long is probably a description for this one. <laughs> Look. I'm getting that on a T-shirt. That's me. That is Redmond. If I, could, if I could go back to 1991, there's a couple of things I would definitely do differently, Okay. First of all, in 1991, in Brisbane, a place called Virginia, they had Sandgate Road wholesale cars. It was called the Pink Sheds because, funnily enough, the actual sheds were painted pink. I went in there with a mate of mine, another Simon, and um, he and I were in there. We'd actually just been to the abandoned vehicle auctions they used to run for the council next door. So we just, oh, we'll pop over the Pink Sheds and have a bit of a look. And anyway, Simon Knight, if you're listening, g'day, mate. Haven't seen you for a while. Good bloke. So anyway, here we are, Simon and I. Simon and Simon, we're in the pink sheds, and there's a Valiant Drifter panel van. So I'm talking Impact Orange. It's got all the stripes, exactly what I love. 318 V8, four-speed. It's decked out in the back in purple crush velvet, and it's got mirror tiles everywhere. And, you know, it wasn't a bad car. It, the paint was a bit off here and there. still the original finish. It had, uh, you know, a little bit of rust, but nothing too bad, nothing too major. I could have bought this panel van for $1,800. Right. Wow. I had the money. 
I had the interest. I just didn't have the space. I was like still living at home at the time. You know, I just finished high school. I could have bought this freaking thing for $1,800 and I passed it up. <sighs> so if I could go back to 1991, I'd go back and buy that. And you know what? I wouldn't even haggle him on price. I'd just happily pay. I'd probably give him $1,900. I'd happily just pay the money to get that panel van. And the funny thing is to park next to it was a genuine VG Pacer Bathurst VG with a massive tank in the boot. It had a, like, I think it was up, I think it had been changed to 265 by that stage, not the original 245, with triple, um, triple Stromberg carbies. And it that had, thing was like $2,100 for that, for an E34 pacer. It had the holes in the floor where the roll cage had bolted in? <laughs> Probably. They looked a bit fresh. So I think the salesman had just drilled them in. So that's definitely one thing I'd do. If I could bring back something from 1991, there's a couple of things to bring back. Look, I'll be brutally honest with you, mate. The cars from 1991, nothing really excites me from then. Probably the car I'd bring back. My mate, best mate, Paul Harris, he had back. He had a 1991 S-Pack Commodore Ute. It was just a freak of a car. It was really kind of quite standard. V8 one, it's pretty standard. Like as in, we hadn't done anything to it, but the thing was a freak. It just went so hard and blew away everyone. Like, I don't know what the go was there, so I'd probably go and bring that back. I would definitely bring back, do you remember the Hungry Jacks used to do a Yumbo? Do you remember the Hungry Jacks Yumbo? It was melted ham and cheese on a sesame seed bun. <laughs> oh, my God. I used to love these things. I'd eat like two or three in one sitting. From my childhood, like from the 70s, they were always around. And they they stopped making them in 1991, right? And ever since that, so in all the years that have passed since that time, I tried gallantly to try and recreate the Yumbo at home. I've used all different sorts of sesame seed buns. I use like plastic cheese. I use real cheese. I try all the ham. I cannot recreate these Yumbos. So I'd either go back and get the recipe or I'd, I'd somehow sack or kidnap the person who decided to can it. Why don't we spoke about kidnapping? We spoke about kidnapping. Yeah, yeah, probably. But this is the thing. Like, the Yumbo was an amazing burger. And I, I think the big thing for me with Yumbos too is probably about a decade ago, I wrote to Hungry Jacks and I said, all like through their email system back then, I emailed them, man, this Facebook page could bring back the Hungry Jacks Yumbo. Like, it's a big thing. It's not just me having like a, you know, love of my youth. They were an awesome burger. They tasted great. So I've written to Hungry Jacks and said, hey, any chance you guys might bring back the Yumbo, even as one of these specials, just to test the market again? And I got this big reply back, and I'll, I'll actually scan this, and I'll post this on our Instagram page so you can read it for yourself. This woman who's obviously, you know, does their marketing or whatever, she's she's got back to me. They actually sent me a letter. They did the right thing. They sent me a letter, and they put in lots of detail and explaining why, you know, this and that and why the Yumbo was stopped and why it's probably not viable these days. Anyway, the last sentence of this letter finishes off with, Oh, and I think the Australian palate has developed further past melted ham and cheese on bread, right? And I thought, oh, well, that's a bit of a kick to the nuts. You know, I, I don't think it really matters if it tastes good. Who cares what it is? But the fact that they've said that right at the end. But the best part was only a few years ago, they started selling toasted ham and cheese sandwiches at Hungry Jack's in Queensland. I've seen them, yeah. Like, I thought the Australian palate had developed past melted ham and cheese on bread. Obviously not. So, you know, seriously. So that's definitely one thing. The other massive thing I'd do if I could go back to 1991, or was actually towards the, the um, very end of 1991, was friends of mine said, hey, are you interested in going come to a concert with us? Like in January of 92, Nirvana and the Violent Femmes, it was actually Violent Femmes being supported by Nirvana, were playing at Festival Hall in Brisbane. 
And they said, oh, hey, mate, do you want to, you know, you want to come along with us? They were all getting tickets and stuff. And, you know, like, um, never mind the album from Nirvana had been out for a few months. We'd all been listening to it. And it's all pretty cool. And we liked the Violent Femmes anyway. It would have been a fantastic concert. But just at the time, you know, money was a bit tight and just time, it just seemed like a bit of a hassle. I remember specifically saying to one of my friends, I said, you know what? I'll just see him next time they come. And of course, that never happened. You know, so uh, it was within, within a couple of years Kurt Cobain killed himself, so they never made it back to Brisbane. So, you know what? I would have made the effort to go and see that concert. They would have been amazing to see live. That's probably one of my regrets from 1991 as well. That's a fairly um, good one. It's a fairly big it's one. It's a massive one. It's a massively big one. So I don't know. But um, what were you driving around 91 yourself? What, what, did you, what were you doing car-wise? 91, I just moved, I was driving the Gemini, I just moved to Sydney to do my apprenticeship, actually. I had no television, I just had an AM, FM radio. I remember of a night when I'd get back to the caravan, I'd flick between the two channels, Today FM and Triple M, and just listen to one, like Michael Jackson's, what's that stupid song, Black and White, and then Prince, Diamonds and Pearls, man, it was horrible. But an interesting, <laughs> I, you, you were saying that 90, I know, it was terrible. That 91 model ute that Paul had, I actually, it wasn't until about 94 that I bought it, but I had one of those 91 model utes. I had a HSV, the only yeah. proper car. Every other car I've ever had has been a clone or ripoff or whatever. I was driving. I had an old van that had had a 202 four-speed conversion done to it. It was a, an old Nissan van. And it yeah, like an Irvan or something. I think that's what it was. I, I bought it from a guy in the Blue Mountains, uh, Steve Whitby. He's actually used to hang around Ballard's Racing. He could fit three dirt bikes in the back of it. But it had a oh, 202 okay. a four-speed and a banjo in it. Anyway, but yeah. it shut itself on the front of a car. For the 50th time, I mean, had no first reverse, had a clutch started. It was just, a, it was rooted. I look across in through the car and I just see a 91 HSB and says, drive away today. I walked away from that van, went over there and, and grabbed the, the 91. I think it was 35 <laughs> grand, but the salesman said, look, mate, what we'll do, <laughs> we'll bump it up to 50 grand give you 15 grand trading for your van and then you have instant finance. We'll go straight through and I'm like, yeah, okay. But that car was so <laughs> much fun. First fuel injected car I'd had. You go along a Bell's line of road from Windsor to Lithgow. And I used to go up to Bathurst. I was dating a girl up there at the time and you could corner that hard in that car. You know how they've got actually four pedals. They've got the fourth pedal over in the left-hand side foot well to anchor your foot against. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Another one. I could hammer the corners that hard in that car. Like come down through the gears. When you're turning into a corner, you could feel the floor pan twist through that, honestly, through that fourth <laughs> pedal. I used to absolutely beat the piss out of that car. It was it was the only uh, genuine HSV or HD tyranny Inky I've ever I've ever really had. Which brings me to the point of clones, you know, HDT clones or XY clones or any. Well, what, what's your take on clones? Where I grew up in Bathurst, there was obviously the power station, there was coal mines, there was it was actually a fair bit of work going on just in the 80s there. So guys didn't. And the cars were cheap. Genuine GTs were cheap, and there was lots of work. So yeah, yeah. To have, to have a clone up there or to have a, a car that wasn't big spec, man, they hated it. Like old guys like Barry and that. If you had something that wasn't quite big spec or pretended to have the wrong badge or you, you were absolutely slaughtered. The shit box. Yeah. Look, I, I think definitely it's times have changed now, and, and clones pull awesome money. You look at what an XYGT clone is going to pull now, just because of what they are. And I think that's. You know, that the market shifted up. But look, I personally, I don't care about clones. I think people should just build whatever the hell they like. But, you know, I think I, there's a couple of actual old, old school custom cars that I'd love to clone that have been lost to time. I think that'd be fantastic. So, Mr. Damage, Leon Harris's XB panel van, Candy Apple Red, that car's gone. I'd love to do a clone of that. 
and um, do it pretty much exactly how it was. And um, also um, there was a, another fantastic panel van from the late 70s called XX308. It was a Holden van, had some of the most beautiful flared guards you've ever seen. And um, that was built by Steve Ellis, who's, who's sadly passed away now. But I think building a clone of XX308 would be great. Now, just to clarify that, the real van still exists, but it's been changed so much in that time that the guy who's actually got it now, he's uh, Adam Black, he's restoring it to its first incarnation. So he's rebuilding it to what the van was at the very start. It had like a full Statesman, you know, the big double grill and had quarter bumpers and stuff. But I'd actually probably do the third incarnation. So I reckon that's enough enough permission to get away with doing that. It wouldn't be exactly the same as what the original is. So I reckon I can do that. That'd probably be my So What would you probably look at cloning, mate, if you could? I think it's a very, very good subject, cloning a, a, a street car or a tribute car, not building a tribute to it. Like we can say that, you know, you built Disturbia as a tribute to some of the vans, but it is its own car. I, I'm a, I, yeah. Rex, Rex Webster's FJ, definitely. I want that car as it is, as Rex built it. I don't want to go, oh, you know what, I actually like it, but I don't like the stance or I want, want tin to win. No, no, believe me, I want it as it is as it is, yeah. it appears in the magazine. I was lucky enough a couple of years ago, you wouldn't believe it, I was at a local car show down here at Townsend. I was lucky enough, <laughs> I got a bacon sandwich. I spun around and, mate, is sitting in front of me. I'm getting goosebumps for tell a story. It was HQ for you. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I'm, of course, the red street machine giveaway Monaro from 1986 we spoke about. Yeah, I'm, I'm serious, man. I was short of breath. I was just, wow. Here it was in the guy had gone back to it and he's a, him and I stood face to face. I threw my bacon sandwich away. We didn't have a mouthful of it. And him and I just spoke it. And I was like, I'm so glad this car still exists. So probably thing with cars, I always put myself in the driver's seat. I'm not a show car judge and I'm not a drag racing aficionado. When I look at a car, how I judge it is I can see me driving that. Um, that's just yeah. who I am, you know. So I'd definitely jump in that. But definitely Rex Webster's, I uh, think, HQ for you. And I can say this quite legitimately and you're gonna to have to just swallow this i would sorry sorry that's first and last time you will ever <laughs> say that to me okay too bad i'm gonna fucking say it that's not the that's first <laughs> i mean you, <laughs> have, you, you have to accept this and i'm gonna say it disturbia oh yeah it's not right to do somebody's car who is still current on the scene i, I get that that's probably but i want that van and i'm oh if i didn't like it we would be talking about it fuck it <laughs> no, look, hey, look, I, I, I take that with, I take that, the total kudos and I appreciate that. Definitely the kind words that you love it so much. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll will it to you or leave it to you in my will. How does that sound? Well, I'm going to get an unregistered <laughs> car and a pedestrian crossing and you may be very soon in a, in a pine box. But yeah, just on, on the clone cars, I think that that's a very interesting subject. But how long is it going to be until we start seeing some what we call modern SSs being built as HSVs? It's going to be another 10, wow. another 10 or 15 years, isn't it? Yeah, and look, why not? And I think that's the thing. There's so many. You got to look at what the, you know, like we always talk about, like what fodder is around for people to build cars from. And there's a heap more SSs around than there are HSV. So why not build an HSV clone? I think that'd be fantastic. So, you know, that'd be a cool thing for sure. And um, I guess talking about projects and just this this cringeworthy photo you sent me of your motorbike. How uh, are you going as far as domestic police is going at the moment? Uh, it's a fucking catastrophe. My, you know what I've done for 27 years professionally up till three months ago, don't you? Yes. Yep. I sure okay. do. Okay. I'm a mechanic. I have been a mechanic for my whole professional career. At the moment, it is just a clusterfuck. My, I've got my V8 Hilux <laughs> back with no engine, so it's out the back. 
I've got what I've now called the Barmaid VK. It's in a million bits. That's the one that the mate gave me, and I was meant to strip it straight down. That never happened. So, yeah, riding to work the other day on my GSX 1400. I bought that bike for 5800 bucks. basically got it wholesale from a mate that owns a bike shop in 2007. So I've had it for 11 years. It's been a daily transport. It's been a lot. It's got 80,000 Ks on it, and they're hard Ks. I got it with 30,000 Ks, so I put the rest on it. Riding the work, yeah. I've seen the burnout videos, so, yeah, right. you're definitely not lying about the hard Ks. I will stand the piss out of it. I, yeah. <laughs> so, riding the work the other day, come down the left hand, and there's two transport companies. I've got to go past one to get into where I work. So always, yeah, sure. I always just pin the thing. Ah! I backed off, and I just felt it lose drive. Just, <clears throat> I thought it actually flicked the chain off like the drive chain. Pull, yeah, yeah. pull the clutch in and roll into work. Well, fucking, that's an entry. It actually snapped the output shaft on the tranny. So, <laughs> yeah, so I almost considered pushing it in the backyard and just leaving it in the garden, but we'll have to. I found an engine for a thousand bucks, so we'll have to get busy on that. But the rest of the, I've just been through the whole catastrophe lately of having trying to bounce regos and what car we can actually use. And I've got my Ute, the wife's Ute. And, and of course, the whole time I'll get the chorus from my lovely wife, Deborah, of like, we need a normal car. We need a normal yeah. car. And I'm like, yes, yep. Oh, man, I'm like, right, oh, no. so what you mean, like a 10 year old club sport or something? <laughs> She's going, yeah. no, you know. So I'm just, it's just the whole, no domestic bliss at all. The, the whole thing is just a cluster. I'm just trying to sort through. <laughs> <laughs> give us some give us some bright spots. You give me your, your domestic Mate, voice. Okay, well, as you know, as I've been talking about, we've got the EH project on the go. I've managed to do a little bit to that. Sort of, I find, you know, like Rod Hadfield, the, obviously the master train car builder, he had this saying, just do a little bit every day, and that's how you get projects done. When he was asked, like, how he gets so much cool stuff done, you've got to just do a little bit every day, whether it be throwing spanners or sitting on the internet ordering parts. So with the EH, that's the sort of thing I've been ticking along doing. So uh, as I was saying previously, we're doing like a bit of a dry run, like a dry build just to make sure everything lines up after having the accident damage repaired. So the actual engine that's in it, the 179, I remember when first actually pulling the motor out, the big fear was that, the engine, like the water pump, would have gone back through number one, which is kind of pretty common with Holden motors, like six cylinders in front enders. So here's my dad and I. We've got the you know, the air ratchet out. We're undoing the water pump going, oh, you know, please, fingers crossed. I hope it doesn't go. Because we wanted to use that motor again because it's a hot little motor. So I pull the water pump off and it's high fives because there's no there's no dramas. Like number one's perfect. There's no problems. The water pump's still okay. Like the front's bent, but the, the actual back, the impeller hadn't gone through the, the actual block into number one. We're high fives. Yeah, yay. Anyway, we jack it up to put it onto like a trolley to move the engine gearbox away and oil's coming out of the back of it. And my old man goes, fuck. And I said, oh, shit, here we go. What's up? It's cracked the block where the starter motor goes. You know, like the webbing yep. where the starter motor is? It is the world's hugest fucking crack running along the block, so it's knackered. So um, what I've been doing is I've actually stripped off the fire speed from that. That We've got a uh, my mate Paul, as I mentioned, here at the Commodore Ute. He's actually given us a 202 to use for mock-up. So we've got a 202 there for it now. So I've, I'm kind of piecing that together. I've put the six-cylinder mounts onto the HR front end, welded those on, just or just tack them on into a position until we can make sure it's all lined up properly. And, um, yeah, so a bit been going there. But also, like, things like headlight buckets. I've been chasing a few parts. I've picked up some front-end bits and just generally – trying to keep the wheels turning amongst a million other things that, of course, just, just, just you know, suck down your time. But in saying that, I've actually done a bit of BMX work lately, which what? has been good and fairly straightforward BMX work. Like, I've got a few bikes in the build and um, I just have this bad habit. Whenever I buy a BMX bike, 
it's black or gunmetal grey, and I just don't like BMXs in that colour. I don't know why. I just think that BMXs, especially growing up with the whole BMX Bandits era, they've got to be fairly bright colours. And, you know, like I hear these super... Sorry, they're not painted black. I should say they are murdered out. (laughs) um, Inverted commas, which I put murdered out along with Rat Rod Bettina Barnfine these days. But, um, you know, it's funny, actually, just quickly, we had a Christmas party and a mate of mine was giving me shit as I burnt the sausages pretty bad, like charcoal, I'm talking charcoal. And I just turned and said, mate, I didn't burn them. I just murdered them out. Anyway, so it's just a, it's a saying for all seasons now. But with the BMXs, so the first one, I've got a, a Mongoose Moto Mag. It's actually a genuine, like a 70, 79 model Moto Mag. So it's, it's a good bike, but it's a bit of a bitzer. I bought it as like a, a, a driver or a rider, and it's it's a good bike. But I really love the old school style Moto Mags. Like it's got Moto Mag proper, Moto Mag tufts I've put on it. I love the old box bars and the single stem goosenecks. And it hasn't got any of that. It's basically just an old school frame with all modern running gear. So I put motor mag tufts on it. I've put a uh, snowflake chain, like a chain wheel on the front as well. It's a Gino snowflake chain. I've got box bars for it. So that's in the process of getting built now. I've even actually bought some proper, like the, the front forks for it. They have like the nice bend in them as well. So I'm going very old school, like very early build on that. Look, the BMX bike scene is kind of like the car scene where if you don't restore stuff, it kind of shrugs people's noses up. But to me, I just build stuff how I want it. So this BMX, sure, it's a 79 model, but it's going to have 81 model stickers because they've got gold in the Motomag stickers. And I want the gold to match the tufts and a few other bits. And I'm painting it like a kind of like a, a baby blue color. So that's the big project on the go. I mean, with your BMX, with your BMX from what I've seen, my comment is how many tufts are you going to buy? And your answer is oh, all of them. Pretty much. Like, seriously, coaster toughs. Like, my bikes have to be coaster brake, and they have to be toughs, every one of them. And they have to be – I don't like loop tail frames. They have to be like your normal – square, like, not square back, but, you know, your normal style frames. And, um, yeah, I don't, that's just something – because that's what I grew up with as a kid. And that's what we all had. That's what I love. And I've probably got 30, 30 toughs sitting under the house. It's just crazy. It's just it's like with the time I went through the phase of collecting bubble windows and panel frames. <laughs> It's just ridiculous. But um, the other one I'm doing it, sorry? My problem with old BMX, vintage BMXs, vintage bikes is the same with my problem with vintage motocross bikes. I can't have them. I just fuck them. I mean, I have to buy something pretty new and just fuck it. Anything, I just crack the frames on the old bikes and, and like a vintage <laughs> dirt bike falls the bits on me as well. It's just like, You're pretty hard on the gear, mate. That's all it is. I mean, look, you snapped off that primary shaft off your road bike. Which I've never seen happen before, ever. So, you know, my hat's off to you for for treating it like that. I think it's pretty awesome. It had it coming. (laughs) Can I just say say something? One of the magazines that I write for, Roadbike Magazine, Mm. the editor is... He's going to send me a set of road bike tight, you know. He's going to send, oh, going to send me these road bike ties. And I, that's why I haven't posted any photos. I know he won't listen to this podcast. That's why I haven't posted any photos. The thing is, I'm just keeping quiet, keeping quiet as fuck. Going. I hope these tires turn up. And when they turn up, I'll have the engine in it pretty soon. Anyway, but when they turn up, he says, there's a particular way that you treat, you know, products you get from magazine. I'm going to back the fucking thing into the shed and smoke the tire off it and send him a video. <laughs> oh, that's what I'm going to go, there, your tire test is done, mate. <laughs> I'm awesome. Now yeah, your tire test oh. done because a few other people write for the magazine, whatever. You see tire tests, man. I could fucking go to sleep reading the fucking things. It's like, 
I found it good at intermediate into the corner, but coming out, I was a bit harsh and wanted to wobble a bit. I'm going, it's a fucking road bike tyre. You know, it's obviously I don't ride as hard as some of the, the other guys with the sports bikes and bits and pieces. But yeah, anyway, sorry, sorry to butt in. No, look, I just think that's the Redmond take on doing a tyre test. I think it's a fantastic idea. I got it for nothing, so I'm willing to smoke up a tyre by myself. I sent Kiwi Dave the thing. I said, I'm getting a, a tyre, and he's like, oh, God. <laughs> if you got them, fucking smoke them. But uh, no, it's just a no. shame your old road bike's broken. Yeah, look, I'm sure you get something on the go soon too. But, mate, I definitely hope you get another road bike going soon. I want to see this burnout. Video, make sure it's a video. Please get Deb or one of your neighbours to oh, – actually, your neighbours won't do it. They'll probably throw the video at you. No, no, they, fuck, they will. Awesome, awesome. On that note, mate, that wraps up Episode 5. So, of course, the Thong Slappers, you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook too. Or if you'd like to email, it's thongslappers, one word, at optusnet.com.au. And that is O-P-T-U-S-N-E-T, optusnet.com.au. Don't forget, last episode we spoke about our Gen Y of the year. So we look forward to seeing, getting some more applicants in for that. So show us what you got. Also, too, don't forget hashtag moot if you find something that's really exciting for us on Instagram. We want to see what's going on there. And uh, as always, a thank you to our adult supervisors who, by the sounds of this, aren't doing as good a job as they should be. Uh, we've got Lucy and Deb, Macker and Harry, Jackie and Nick. So, Red, I look forward to talking to you about episode six. Thank you very much, Tom, and good night. See ya. Bye. I've got the Terminator magazine. What the fuck? This thing won't die. It is the Terminator. It is. It's right in the pilot. What the fuck?